Alright, hello, this is Jake Jacobs at New York Update, and today we're going to be talking with Anthony Nicodemo. And Anthony, you are the president of the Teachers Union in Greenberg, North Castle, right? Correct, I'm the president of Greenberg, North Castle United, so we represent not only the certificated staff, but our teacher aides and our safety monitors as well. Great. And yesterday, uh, I saw that you reached out to the New York Bats, and uh, you were trying to get some attention for an incident that happened at the summer school called Reach Academy? Correct. Okay. And so why don't you bring us through the story so far? So essentially, we, we are a special education district. So back in June, the governor decided that it was okay to have in-person ESY, you know, extended school year. And my superintendent uh, felt that once that was issued, that we needed to serve uh, students in person, being we're connected to an agency with residents. And so anyway, they brought us in. At the time, I tried, you know, pushing the fact to elected officials that it's not a safe time to open. You know, they really only gave us two weeks to properly prepare. But we went ahead and we did anyway. And, and you know, to give the district some credit, they did a pretty good job coming up with a, a robust safety plan uh, that they've done a good, a good job of executing. Are these students coming from just inside the district, or do they travel? All of our kids travel because we're a special act district, so they come from other districts. We service those kids. Right now, we have a limited amount of day students. The majority of our students are residents. They live on a residential campus. Okay. Um, the majority of day students were not sent by their districts this summer, so they're working virtually. Oh, okay. Do you have kids coming from the city or Yonkers or other? Yeah, our kids are from all over the place, all over Westchester, Long Island, down to Staten Island, upstate New York. We serve this. We have kids from various districts uh, all through the region. Okay. There was a positive COVID case. School had been in session for about two and a half weeks, and then it was announced there was a positive COVID case. The school was shut down. I saw the preliminary news report in Low Hud. It was going to be closed. Originally, they said it was closing for a week, but it turns out that the school is only going to be closed yesterday and today, and they'll be reopening on Monday? Yeah, so this person tested positive on Wednesday night. Uh, so the superintendent, you know, immediately closed the, closed the building for the next two days, to the, you know, while we awaited the health department's decision. And then the way it went is that the contract tracing began yesterday. And initially, it seemed like 14 or 15 uh, staff members and three staff had come in contact with this particular person. Um, and that was coming from the Westchester County Health Department. And then the health department had a meeting with the state health department and then have now have come back to us and said only one student and one staff came in contact with this particular person that needs to quarantine. Yeah. The conflicting what exactly how this is supposed to work and who's supposed to be quarantined and when. Right. So so you think that the Westchester Department of Health might have been a little more conservative in the beginning, but after they got in touch with the State Department of Health, they kind of lowered the number of people that they were considering officially in proximity of the infected person? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what it certainly seems like. You know, initially they had these numbers, and then all of a sudden later on in the day it became, well, there's direct contact. These people were in contact, but they were not in direct contact. And per, you know, the Department of Health and CDC guidelines, this needs to be, you know, for, for this for this to happen and to, for the quarantine to happen, it needs to be direct conflict, which is all these you know, crazy rules of just in six feet and no mask and 15 minutes or more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's the number they went with. So 
only one person has to quarantine and one student has to quarantine. Now, this being said, you know, this particular individual was around multiple teachers in their classrooms, multiple aides, multiple safety monitors. But the Department of Health has decided that only one person needs to quarantine and be tested. And do we know about the size and the ventilation of these classes? The classrooms are pretty, they're, they're actually not that small in that particular building. I mean, no class right now has more than four students in it, I believe, especially because okay. the majority of our population is virtual. Mm-hmm. You know, so give or take, there, you know, there could be anywhere from, you know, four to seven people, including staff and students, in those rooms right now. Our, our ratios are automatically small. We are, because of the special ed mandates, we're either 611 or we are uh, 811. So okay. there's usually not more than 10 people in a classroom anyway, and the classrooms have been set up to be socially distanced, you know, per the mandates that the state has put out. And the Department of Health, did they ascertain whether or not everybody that was in the room together was masking and distancing? I think that's the tracing. So it was basically conversations with the infected person. Did everyone have a mask on? Did they not have a mask on? And that's what they went with. You know, which to me seems a little loosey-goosey because over the course of five days, you're going to know every single person that had their mask on or whether they took their mask off. or It just seems very, very laxed investigation to me. But, right. Um, well, this, this seems like it would be New York State's first case of a positive COVID test in a school setting and the reaction there, too, since the shutdown in March. That's why I'm so interested. I want to see what the protocols are and how it works. Now, you were saying that the the regulations that they ended up going with say that if you're in a room with somebody that did turn out to be positive, if you were wearing a mask or and or you were distancing six feet apart indoors, that you do not count as direct contact or direct exposure. And, you, and they do not consider you necessary to rush out and get a test or quarantine, right? Yeah, not only that, but it almost sounds like even if you were in close contact for less than 15 minutes, you're not required to. This 15-minute number is what they're using. So, you know, I could stand next to somebody for, for five minutes, and that even if that person's positive, I wouldn't have to necessarily get tested or quarantined because I didn't break the 15-minute barrier. Seems <laughs> pretty crazy to me. This is the part that seems outrageous because, as you know, it only takes a second for the virus to go from one person to the other. And it's true that wearing masks cuts down the probability. But I don't know what your level of paranoia or OCD is. But, you know, I have been following the scientific reports about vapor clouds after somebody is in an area talking, passing somebody on the hall or the stairs, particularly where people are huffing and puffing, even in a narrow corridor, like going in opposite directions down the supermarket aisle. And so I wonder if they are doing like the Trump version of the guidelines here. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems lax to me, you know, and, and you know, you just talked about a lot of the airborne stuff. You know, how about the surface-to-surface stuff? You know, did a desk get cleaned properly? Did the person touch a doorknob? Was the doorknob clean? It just seems like there's a lot of, you know, areas here. It's the, I mean, the kid, the staff are moving. The kids are not. Right. Um, so pretty much the kids are isolated to one room. But you had different so, staff coming you know, in? You had different correct, staff coming correct. in on a rotation? Correct. Yeah, the staff would be rotating into the rooms in that particular model. So there's no way to know this. 
instead of being, you know, remember when all this started, they kept using the abundance of caution was the phrase, right? Right. Instead of going with the abundance of caution that we used in March, it seems like we're going the other way and we're going, you know, with the least amount of resistance in some ways. Right. Um, yeah, because now we're operational and, here. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, obviously my members are very concerned. I mean, we have people that have been in and out of the building and gone to other buildings and they're saying, well, why is this place not shut down for two weeks? And, you know, my answer is, listen, you know, we're going with the, we're following the Department of Health. They're the authority on this, not us. You know, the, the concern is going to be, I think there needs to be a consistency that's going to roll out with this throughout the next, you know, the next couple of months as we hit school, because, you know, we're a tiny little district. What's going to happen when this happens in a district with thousands of people in it? You know, the, the, the district is in charge of the contact tracing. You know, so essentially an administrator has got most of this information. You know, and like I said, I can't remember what went on in my classes four days ago. <laughs> you know, like that's that's a, a long time ago. You yeah. Know, for that to be this simple for the testing, you know, why wouldn't we err on the side of caution and get everyone tested rather than let this thing go rampant? And you know, who knows what's going to happen in two weeks if it just grows? But right, um, that was that was my thought when you first told me that there was nineteen people that they were suspecting could have been exposed. I figured, why why wouldn't they all want to get tested? And, and I think a lot of them are. I, I think a lot of them have gone out on their own to get tested. Right. You know, but I, I think, you know, we forget everybody's financial background, what they're up to, what kind of life they have. Do they have kids? Do they have time to go get there? There's just so many different factors here yeah. that play into this. You know, and it just seems like, okay, we're going to open our building. I think our building would be healthy as far as us cleaning it and making sure everything, as far as that goes, it's going to be safe. But that's not to say that one of these people who had contact, even though it wasn't considered direct contact, is positive and is asymptomatic. And they're going to walk to the doors on Monday and con continue the transmission to somebody who does have an un underlying condition. Right. You know, and, and that's the scary piece of this. Of course. Just anticipating questions. Do we know if the person who tested positive was symptomatic? I don't know exactly because of the HIPAA rules that play into this. What we do know is the person did have some kind of a, of a situation where they needed to leave school early on Friday. So whatever was going on, they did leave school early Friday to go get tested and gotcha. they didn't return. And so, right, so they were doing school and they actually took the, the beginning of this week off and then we find out Wednesday that they tested positive. So that suggests maybe they did have some symptoms. Do we know whether the school was undergoing nightly deep cleanings that Michael Mulgrew is promising every single New York City building will be getting in the fall? That's where uh, there's there's supposed to be a spray uh, on a backpack mounted unit that's going to be going through every room. And there's also supposed to be wiping down of every desktop and, of course, doorknobs and light switches. Was this school doing any of those protocols, if you know? Uh, yeah, I want to say they call it static cleaning. That sounds right. We actually, by a coincidence, Friday night, that building was actually static cleaned. So we, we have those protocols in place with the backpacks and we have people going through and cleaning the place uh, a couple days a week. So the, those protocols are in place. We also put in place... Uh, daily safety measures. The rooms are clean twice a day. Uh, everybody is, is given this, you know, the proper PPE and the supplies to clean desks, wipe down desks. Uh, the kids are using specific laptops that only they use and then they get cleaned at night. So our, our protocols that we put in are pretty good as far as that goes. Right. Uh, but and that was that was ever since day one? Uh, of summer school that was since yeah since we opened back up we had that in place yeah. I we, see. we really worked hard in the the quick turnaround that we were forced to have uh, to get this going we moved pretty fast gotcha. and i thought we got some pretty good protocols in place but my new line as i've told people is we've done everything by the book 
but I don't think the book is, is providing enough to help us. So going forward, school is supposed to reopen on Monday. Are you anticipating any students are going to have hesitation about showing up in person now? Well, once again, most of our students right now are residents. So they're living on campus, and we work very closely with the agency because we're in cooperation with them as a special act school. So I don't think that there's going to be much of a decision there. You know, okay. I think the agency will probably send the kids over. You know, I think the staff is going to probably feel a little uneasy about going in. Um, and don't forget, we're still waiting on the results of two people. Right. So we don't know how that's going to turn out. So, you know, I, I think the anxiety is going to be high. You know, I think the anxiety was high across the entire district yesterday, not only this building, but the other buildings as well. You know, we have some, some maintenance people who have gone back and forth. There's some safety monitors and, you know, rumors start to fly. And it just really hurts the psyche of the district when something like this happens. Big psychological yeah. factor, definitely. <laughs> Correct. And if, you know, somebody, God forbid, does come back positive over the weekend, well, what we're now going to have to do is begin an entirely new tracing process. Now right. we got to go through this again. You know, and everything gets shut down again, and then you got to go through it again. And, you know, eventually it's going to become unmanageable because people are just not going to feel safe being at work. I have a very good uh, relationship with our administration, mm -hmm. and I, I applaud them because I think they've done everything that they're supposed to do outside of not opening. Right. <laughs> you know, so, which is another conversation, and, and they know the union standpoint on that. It's new times, and the bottom line is this could happen 15 or 20 times throughout the school year now. You know, this is what we're going to be facing if we're back live in the fall. Tell me about that. I know that my wife's district up in Westchester is still in the air. New York City, I'm up on the latest briefings. There was a town hall on Tuesday. Some things are being proposed and they are starting to form. You know, de Blasio said the final decision won't come until September. Does your district have anything in place yet as far as uh, what's going to happen in the fall? No, I mean, I think that our reopening committee has met and our plan is pretty much to be in live as much as we can to be full because we, we do have special ed kids with the mandates. But I don't know what the other districts are going to do. You know, we don't know if New York City is going to bust their kids to us. You know, if New York City doesn't bust their kids to us, that changes the way we have to run our program. So there's going to be a lot of factors, I think, that are going to depend on that. But, you know, we're coming up with three models, you know, a virtual model, a hybrid model, and then, of course, the live model. Luckily for us, our classrooms are already set up with only you know, a small amount of kids in them. You know, we really don't have more than 10 kids in a classroom. So because of that, it's going to be a little easier for us to get the ball rolling live than it would be for, you know, a school that normally has 28 kids in a classroom. Since this happened, you did try to reach out to media to make everybody aware because parents are part of this, obviously, even just regular taxpayers. Everybody deserves to know what's going on. I saw there was a piece in the Journal News, Low HUD, and then I saw you also on News 12. Um, has anybody else reached out? No, just the two, you know, the local media. You know, I didn't know where it was going to go. I, I thought that with this going on and being where the first case in New York State for this to happen, you know, that there was the potential for others to jump on and kind of go with the story. I, I think it, there, it's a legitimate question on how you move forward. You know, if we're a little tiny district and we're not operating at 100 percent and two weeks in this happened, you know, this is going to happen in other districts throughout the school year. And I think that's going to become you know, the question of going live and then going virtual and then going live, you know, that kind of uncertainty and instability is going to become a really difficult situation for educators to try to do their jobs properly. And I think I need to just, you know, make sure I keep sharing the facts about what's happening here and not the rumors and let my fellow presidents and fellow union members know what they're going to be facing. It just so happens that we were the first. And if this was somebody else, I would hope that they would be doing the same thing so that I can help 
properly prepare my local to open. One question that I have gotten already is whether or not those guidelines that were used by the health department, especially those, like you say, the looser guidelines, are they in writing? Are there somewhere where people can see them where school board members or union presidents or district leaders can see them? Or is this something that the Department of Health just tells the district once something happens. Which which guidelines do you which the, the state reopening guidelines? The ones that seem to say that if you're wearing a mask and you're in a room all day long oh, right. with somebody. Yeah, so that we found that in like the CDC guidelines buried somewhere when we did some research. It wasn't something that was just kind of there. Uh, it really we really didn't find it much in the New York State documents. It was more on CDC guidelines. So it seems like the state is aligning with the CDC guidelines on that. Gotcha. And that was something, like I said, we were fully prepared and ready to say, okay, everyone's going to have to quarantine and talking to people in the building. I'm like, just be ready. And then when it happened, like we were surprised and, and not only myself, but you know, even, you know, our LRS and, and some higher ups at NYSEN were surprised because we know other cases throughout the state where this has happened, even not in non-educational settings. And this was not the protocol. So how did this all of a sudden become a protocol yesterday afternoon that this is what we're doing now? Yeah, I mean, to my mind, this is kind of like an isolated incident in the summer, and that's kind of serving as an unofficial pilot for other schools. I would have probably, if I was in charge, uh, tested the 19 people and just see what comes back. But if you're saying that you found what they were referring to or what they were basing the decision on, and it goes back to the CDC guidelines, that does sound like it could be the Trump and Pence watered-down guidelines. Yeah, because, you know, the CDC obviously uh, has had disagreements with the administration on how things are going to go. And it definitely seems like this is, you know, taking it, you know, the easiest way out to not create panic and to not provide testing. And I think in this case, they might be saying, hey, let's sit back and see what happens here. And if nothing comes out of it, we look good. I mean, I, I would hope that's not the case, but that very well could be the case. It could be, you know, a test case to see how they're going to handle this on a, on a broader scale come September. It was really uh, interesting to see yesterday, and thanks so much for giving the clarity and the full description as best you could of what happened so that we can understand it. We'll see what happens if there's any other news. This, is, of course, would be the first instance where where students were in the building. So we'll keep our eye on Yeah, I mean, you know, and even, even, even in the spring, I mean, I know staff members of mine who didn't have great technology at home were going into the building to do virtual learning and whatnot. And I know they weren't getting screened. They were just walking in. You know, it, it was not a great protocol. And I'm sure that's across the board. I think people are going to learn as you go. You don't want to see people die while you're trying to uh, figure things out. Yeah. You know, we're in the middle of the summer right now. Why not get this right and quarantine these people and shut the building down for two weeks and go virtual? You know, is it that big of a deal to do that right now? Why would we go the other route and risk that? Because the bottom line is you could have members who just don't go get tested, who are positive because of this, who did catch it from this particular person, and they choose not to go, and then the spread goes. Why would we risk that in August? You know, it just doesn't make much sense to me. I, I would think we would want to err on the side of caution. You know, I'm a basketball coach. When a kid gets a concussion, the kid sits out for 10 days. Yeah. You, don't, you don't risk the kid getting brain damage. Right. You know, right. it seems like in a, in a society where we're so, you know, litigious and we're so out there worried about everything going on around us and we kind of put the stop to something, now all of a sudden we're not going to do that out of nowhere. It just seems very odd to me that that's the route that the health department would be choosing to go here rather than stay ahead of it. So there's there's definitely questions coming out of this for the Department of Health. There was one last question that somebody asked uh, yesterday when we were discussing this. I don't know if this is practical or if it makes sense, but 
it would be going back and looking at cameras, looking at videos. I mean, there's no cameras in, in classrooms, but there's just cameras in halls, right? We don't, and that, in that particular building, we don't have any cameras there. I mean, I guess that's something that you could probably do in buildings that have it. But you're talking about, you know, such an extensive researching thing. And I think it seems like they're putting this on the district to okay. do the tracing initially and then to share that with the health department. You know, the districts who are trying to run their schools and educate kids that are going to have to take hours and hours and hours and hours to sit down and to, to, to handle the tracing is going to be tough for districts to do. You know, right. It's going to be administrators that are given the task, but it's not going to be an easy process you know, for an administrator to try to properly run a building in these conditions and then possibly have to stop for, I know yesterday this started on Wednesday night at about nine o'clock and they were still tracing at about four o'clock last night. Really? You know, and this is a small building with not a lot of kids. You know, the, the, the time spent on this was extensive. Right. So, you know, there has to be a better process to do this than to just, you know, just to have an administrator get interviewed and then have the person get interviewed and ask them, you know, who was near you five days ago in the class and did they have masks on? I was in that building by a complete fluke on Wednesday doing some union stuff, and not everyone's wearing masks. The kids aren't wearing their masks, and some of the staff doesn't have their masks on. So this is the problem with masks in general. You know, people take them off, they need to breathe, whatever they feel they do, and in that one second, you could be exposed. But then again, the, the out is the 15 minutes. They're saying that you could be near a kid or near an adult who's positive with no mask on, but it's not for 15 minutes then it doesn't count as direct contact. Right. That's to me, crazy. To me, that's insane, especially if somebody is, is sneezing or coughing Correct. or something. And uh, symptoms. Yeah. Well, there's there's symptoms, but there's also, like, you know, just a random sneeze, which travels all the way across the room. We know that. And, you know, and, and if you have a mask on, it's a weird thing. Uh, you know, sneezing with a mask on is going to be a weird thing for kids, especially. I'm sure it spills out all over the side. You know, does it go one foot, two foot? We're talking about these tiny little airborne particles. You know, I and uh, once the cold weather starts coming, we know what what's going to happen. We know kids are going to be coughing and sneezing. It might have nothing to do with COVID, but they're going to have to take precautions because a cough is in the symptoms of COVID, and the kid might get sent home if they're if they have a persistent cough. We'll have to see how paranoid or how cautious the school nurses are being when that starts happening. Yes, and that was one of the arguments that we had when this all started, was who gets to determine what a symptom is? The district and I went back and forth on it, and it, it actually wasn't a great conversation because you know my response was, according to these guidelines, if so-and-so comes in and they have a consistent cough, they need to go home. I agree. And the superintendent said, well, who's going to determine that? The nurse. What if it's allergies? What if it's this? What if it's that? This becomes the problem. And, and we really don't have any specific, clear answers on that. Yeah, I'm hearing this from the national nurses, too. Um, they're aware that this is going to happen. I mean, they're, they're kind of like walking through a typical hypothetical first day or first week, and this is exactly what they're talking about. Maybe we'll get better answers. But, you know, in my school in the Bronx, we're on the third floor of a building, and there's only one bathroom for all the teachers. There's only one staff bathroom. So sometimes there's a line in the morning as people are waiting to go. There's two stalls in there, but it's a very small windowless room. If somebody's sitting in a stall for a couple minutes doing their thing, they come out of there and somebody else walks in, there is no doubt that they are in 
the vicinity of their vapors and everything. So, you know, I don't know how that's going to be worked out. Or we might have to close down one of the uh, student bathrooms and, and share that or something. I don't know. I, it's And, you know, also in, in nowhere in any guideline does it that, that the school nurse determines what a symptom is. You know, that does not say that anywhere. So if you have a cough, if you have a headache, you're not supposed to go to work. And if you're there, you're supposed to go home. Right. So this becomes the next piece is who determines this? You know, you can say yes to all the, you know, no to all the, the screening questions and not have a temperature, but you can have a cough. Is a school nurse going to say, well, that nurse, that cough's not related to COVID? How does a school nurse know that by hearing a cough? There's a lot of things here that still need to get fixed. And I think there's going to be a lot of problems between members and the administration as this goes, depending on what kind of administrators you have. I think you have some administrators that are going to push this to the limits. And then you're going to have administrators who are the other way. And, and they're going to always err on the side of caution and look to immediately stop anything from spreading. If staff members are sent home, who is going to cover for them in the middle of the day? And if students are getting sent home, how long is it going to take before their parent gets there? Parents can, can, can get in big trouble at their jobs. Ugh. Correct. This goes back to the ultimate reason why the guidelines are not going to be able to possibly provide a safe opening in September in the current conditions. There's just no possible way for that to happen. You're still putting people at risk. You might say they're minimizing it and, well, there's no possible way to stop it. Yeah, the only way to stop it is to go virtual. Right. And, you know, that becomes a political argument. And, you know, there, it's just such a multi-layered situation that we're in right now. Yeah. And, you know, I just don't know how we get out of it, because if you go all virtual, you're going to have some people that go, this is great. We're saving lives. Blah, blah, blah. But then you're going to have people say you're hurting the economy, you're hurting child care issues. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So they're, they're, you're really in a, in a difficult situation. Either option isn't great. But, uh, no. but, you know, one is potentially fatal. I mean, you know, New York, we don't have a fraction of the cases that they're seeing now in other states. And, and you know, and we're still talking about reopening schools. There's studies because, we, because South Korea is a model that's ahead of us that there's studies there that show that it would take about a week before we start having cases if we reopen the whole system all at the same time. Yeah. Correct. So, and, you uh, know, once it goes, it's going to go. You know, when it goes, you know, in a, in a community like Yonkers, you know, you have people have four kids in four different buildings and one kid has it. It's going to go very quickly in those buildings. And, you know, what are you going to do now? Say, well, one brother doesn't have to get tested because they weren't. It just becomes such a, you know, a quagmire on, on how testing should begin or what should happen. You're right, because it's not just the students or the staff. It should also be the family members. And when the original New Rochelle outbreak was going on, to their credit, Westchester County, or I don't know if it was the state that moved in, but somebody was going to uh, the homes of staff members with hazmat suits on, and they were testing everybody in the house because yeah. they, they were really trying to get a hold on that out. You know, I'm kind of surprised that we're not seeing the same resources now. Yeah, I agree. You know, that's the next piece of this. You know, the mask, who's providing masks, who's providing face shields. You know, there's just a lot of things, and there's going to be more things that pop up as time goes. Cases are going to go. You're going to have hot spots. You know, and I just don't know how you properly open on a widespread scale. And I think I'm sure upstate New York could be different than down here. I understand that, too. You know, and that's why it probably needs to be looked at regionally. But being so close to New York City, people traveling in and out, people traveling to the city for work again, you know, I think it's going to be really difficult for schools in this area to open safely. Yeah, that's definitely the key. Um, I know that there's some colleges, including Cornell, that are trying a model of what they call a green zone, and they're going to be literally testing college kids twice a week, and this is announced. And so they're going to try to create kind of like a, you know, a very, very safe atmosphere. But 
the minute somebody goes out and comes back, if you were on a city bus or if you were on in a, in a car with others or a plane, the, all of a sudden you're you're penetrating the green zone. And so uh, that model is only going to be good as how tight it's kept. And you could kind of say the same thing with, you know, with the commuting loops that the students in a, in a school are on. They just go back and forth to home and they basically, you know, not going out and around the town and they're just going back and forth and everybody's, you know, been symptom free for a long time. You would assume that that would be safe. But the minute somebody comes back from Florida on a plane and is in the same room with everybody else. Now you have to worry. So, you know, travel is a really big part of this. And we just saw the state announcing their mandatory quarantines um, based on travel. And they listed, I think, like 30 states. But they didn't say airplane travel or anything like that. So um, it seems like they're still just experimenting here. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And and that's, I think, we're going to be for a while unless the state changes the way they're doing things. Well, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. So we've been talking with Anthony Nicodemo of the Greenberg Northcastle School District, the coach. You sound like a great union president, and I'm, I think your members are lucky to have you. You seem like you're on top of all the information, and you're really doing a very responsible job. Appreciate that. And please be in touch. If there's any updates, we could update people on our Twitter feed, and they could follow up and see what's happening. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, you take care. Take care. All right.